Lord God, as we come now to your word, we, we come humbly, we come with great care, we, we want to come with reverence, we, we hear your voice as we read these words, and so we don't do so lightly. We come, Lord, to focus upon you. We pray that you would affect us in this, your word, as I preach it, Lord, Use my words to be your word to all of us today. Convict those that need to be convicted. Strengthen those who are weak. Shake up those who need to be uh, focused. And dial us in, Lord, to this truth. That we may stand out in a generation that is just dripping with lust and sin and temptation all around us. We need your help, Father. We look to you now. Speak, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You shall not commit adultery. There are in the Bible two categories, two biblical categories for adultery. Sometimes we don't think in this, but when you see the command, it, it doesn't specifically say which is the in view. And I would suggest that there are two throughout Scripture. The first would be spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery, that is the book of Hosea, for example, uh, and all that it is called to, to demonstrate as Hosea is called then to take for a wife a prostitute who is completely unfaithful with him and again return, again call her back. Her unfaithfulness is to be an illustration of Israel's whoring after the gods, rejecting the faithful covenant-keeping God and going after other gods, a spiritual adultery. One verse in the New Testament that I found uh, that points this out is when James is addressing the church believers, and he says this, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What's he saying? You're committing spiritual adultery in wanting be, to be friends with the world. Not uh, befriending the world, but that you look to the world instead of looking to God. You're, you're looking to find joy and pleasure and temporal things here in this world, and you're exchanging it for the God who is and who's spoken. And so spiritual adultery is... Uh, throughout the scriptures, especially in the prophets, you see this call again and again and again. You adulterous people. And really it affects the, the commandment of uh, you will have no idols, right? Don't make carved images. You will have no other gods before me. It calls us back to that. But I think the primary usage in our context here, you shall not commit adultery, is sexual adultery. So spiritual adultery and sexual adultery. And that is what is Primarily in view, I think the, the spiritual adultery is, in a sense, um, built upon a sexual adultery or an unfaithfulness to the covenant vow of marriage, and it is then used to be an example of that in the Scriptures. Let me give you some words from a very wise man in Proverbs chapter 5. Young men especially listen to these words, but all of us take these words to heart. My son... 
Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others, and yes, your years, and give your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. What should you do instead? Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be spread abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated, okay? It's in the Bible. Be drunk. What? Always in her love. Be intoxicated with the, the love of your wife. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his folly, he is led astray. Those are powerful words. Some of the opening chapters of the book of Proverbs, in fact, the heavy emphasis at the very beginning that is on the heart of King Solomon is his concern for his sons to be pure and to walk in God's way. What is so discouraging about this is how we watch even King Solomon with, with such wisdom then make terrible decisions as it relates to these things. So if there anyone here who says, this really isn't an issue for me, be warned. King Solomon might have said that at this point too. The call is... Be pure, be holy as God is holy in a world that is just dripping with immorality and sin. Now, what is the foundation of this command? You shall not commit adultery. As with other commands, we find that there are things that are true of God that we can learn as he gives a command for us then to follow. Be holy as I am holy. Well, how is he holy in the command you shall not commit adultery. What do we learn of God? 
what we learn of God is this. He is a covenant keeper. He is a covenant keeper. At the core of marriage, which, by the way, is God's creation, Adam and Eve, he brought them together. The first marriage, that was God's doing. He brought them together. The very core of the marriage is the vows that you have spoken. If you're married, you've spoken these vows in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in good times and in bad. I love you till death do us part. Why do we say that? Because God has said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. At the very heart of the command, do not commit adultery, is the character of God on display. And he has said, I choose you. You are mine. I am going to be in covenant with you. Faithful. I will not abandon you, leave you, forsake you, deny you cheat on you marriage then we understand it for what it is it is a temporary and we we need to see this i know this is hard and jenny and i we we say well we really love each other and i would love to spend forever as your husband i but but marriage is temporary it is only temporary there is no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven uh, and on the new heaven and new earth It is a temporary illustration of an everlasting covenant relationship between the God who is and the people that he has chosen and pledged to. It's a relationship of love and loyalty, of intimacy and exclusivity. It is a relationship of faithfulness that is established on trust. Adultery shreds all of those things. It is an attack on God himself. That is one of the reasons why the enemy loves adultery. He loves to target those good things because at the end of the day, yes, he's targeting uh, this level, but ultimately his delight in targeting that is that he's attacking the illustration of what God has promised and given in His love for us. I often, when I'm doing premarital counseling, will talk with couples about the castle and the walls of the castle and how important it is. Young people, listen. There is no place for sexual activity in any shape or form that is not within the castle walls of marriage i tell people build the walls high as high as the scripture has built them do not allow any ladders to climb up over the wall until the vow has been spoken and once the vow has been spoken enjoy the infinite playground within the walls of what god created and and calls good sex is god's idea it's his good gift it's not dirty or evil or wrong if it's set within the walls of the vow it's wonderful and beautiful an expression of the soul to your soulmate guard it don't allow a back door in don't climb up over 
Don't let anything through the walls of that vow. Adultery says, come on in. There's nothing sacred here. Guard the walls of the vow. And enjoy the delights within the castle. Now, attacking God's glory and God's gift, it should be no surprise then that we live in a world that is so absolutely obsessed with sex, but not God-honoring sex, right? Not God-honoring interaction. In fact, how many books can you read that are lacking some type of cheating or adultery? We've gotten so accustomed to this that if we're watching a show on TV, we just assume, well, who's going to cheat? On who? Where is it going to happen? When's it going to be? Drama is what the culture calls it. Sin is what the Bible calls it. Normal is what the culture calls it. Offensive and wrong is what the Bible calls it. It's a target of the vow. And the enemy loves it. He loves to smash the vow because you know when he does, you know, you know who he is really attacking? I will never leave you or forsake you. We live in a day where divorce is rampant. You can divorce over the most wimpy thing. Even though you've said, till death do us part. With all these qualifiers. Some of you have experienced what it's like to go through a divorce to be just deserted by a spouse. Oh, the the ripple effect, the the shattering that takes place. Divorce is a big deal. Why? Because it's an attack on the vow that God has spoken to His people. We need to be on guard. There are three enemies that we must have in view. The world, yes, we are in the context of sin. That has an effect. You are called to shine in the dark. Don't allow the dark to come in upon the light, but let the light penetrate the dark. But your greatest enemy is not the world. And I would add, the greatest enemy of your soul is not the devil. Your greatest enemy is you. In Christ, for those who have been forgiven of their sins, set free to run the race of faith with Jesus Christ, there is no more power for the enemy to compel you to sin. He can only tempt. He can only tempt. Therefore, I am my worst enemy, the old me, that would seek to crawl out of the grave where he was buried with Christ and raise a hand up and grab onto my leg and say, come down into death. And I have been given the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God, and the power of God to say, no, I will not. I will not. But I can also say, yeah, that sounds all right. Maybe I will. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The marriage vow is opposed. It is opposed around us. It is opposed Within us, the sinful, lingering effects of of sinful nature that would linger with us, and it is opposed by the enemy who would seek to attack and destroy, to steal, kill every vow of marriage. 
Listen to these words from Proverbs 6. For the commandment is a lamp and teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute, that's a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touch her will go unpunished. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Friends, listen. I've been a pastor uh, since the year 2000. And over the 17 years of ministry that I've had, I have never witnessed more destruction than that which is accomplished in adultery. It, is, it, it has been brutal. And at the same time, I will say this. There have been few moments along the way where I have seen the power of the gospel meet that situation. I will never forget when a friend of mine came into my office broken and he said, I don't know what to do. I struck up a relationship with a friend at work and it ran away and we began to be sexually active and my wife walked in and found us. What do I do? He was hopeless at that point. Hopeless. He thought for sure his life was ruined. She was gone. But Jesus met them both. And he softened her heart. And he broke his heart of his sin. And crushed that rebellion in him. And made a sweet, wonderful, soft heart of forgiveness from her. And a willingness to be renewing of that vow and we celebrated we renewed their vows and they are together today and they're raising kids in the light of the lord i praise god for that there have been many instances where the gospel meets people in their darkest day so i know when i preach this there are a variety of experiences and 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 circumstances if you contemplate this here today don't go near that door and if you are here and you are breaking under horrible decisions, know that there is hope because God has grace in Jesus Christ. What is the heart of adultery? The Scripture reminds us that none of us can say, oh, this is no big deal. I don't have to worry about this. It's easy to do that with the Ten Commandments. Jesus has a way of magnifying these commands for us, doesn't he? He, he has a way of, of, of taking what the Pharisees saw as just cookie-cutter obedience. Check it. Yep, check that box. Check that box. I'm good to go. I must be righteous. And he says, oh, hold on one second. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Go back to a verse we looked at a couple weeks ago in Matthew 4. Out of the heart, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, 
murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Where does it begin? It begins in the heart. Hmm. Notice these words. Notice their sequence. Murder, sixth command. Adultery, seventh command. And then this word, sexual immorality. And then theft, eighth command. False witness, ninth command. See how this, this flow is? There's, a, there's an added phrase that he puts in there. So let me build some of these words out. The first is mokeia. You kind of have to pretend like you're choking. Mokeia. Okay, it is uh, conjugal infidelity. That's what we're talking about. It's adultery. Everybody knows what that is. It's when you make a vow to a woman till death do us part, and then you cheat on it. And you have sexual relations with someone who is not within the castle wall. But then Jesus builds this out by adding this other word, which is familiar. It shows up in a variety of passages, especially in 1 Corinthians. The word is porneia. Any illicit sexual activity outside the vow, outside of marriage. Porneia. Not hard to figure out. The category of sin that runs rampant and that is just Pumped around the world from the U.S. Pornography. Hmm. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now don't think it's the same. It's not the same. To, to, to look and lust is not the same as to walk up to, take to a hotel, and have sexual interaction with, okay? That's different. But the sin is the same. This is what Jesus is saying. It begins here. You don't have to go anywhere to commit a sin, the sin of porneia. Jesus uses these words and builds them out for us so that we can't just simply say, well, I haven't you know, cheated on my wife at all. Because lust is a category of sin. And we, as Jesus constantly points us, we've got to address the heart. We've got to go to the heart. Jesus also adds in a category of divorce. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So you have to ask the question, well, wow, there's, there's a lot more than just, you know, cookie-cutter obedience here. This is real. Especially in a culture that is just rampant with divorce. There are two exceptions for divorce that Jesus gives. One would be desertion by an unbeliever. The other would be a settled ongoing, unrepentant committing of adultery by a spouse who, in a sense, would prove himself or herself to be an unbeliever. That's it. Beyond that, there is no biblical ground for divorce. I don't know how many times I've been in counseling and these two people are just like, I think I made a mistake. I, I shouldn't have married them. I this, that, and the other. I'm like, well, let me just be clear. You have no biblical grounds for divorce here. You're, you said the vow. Right? Till death do us part. Good times and in bad, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health. 
Let's let the vow live and start to work. Mm. What are we to do instead? You shall not commit adultery as with other commands. We find that there is always a positive to this. Then, then Lord, what should we do? This is what I would suggest. Pursue the pleasures of God. Pursue the pleasures of God. The call for us is to avoid that path, the dark. Live in the light. Walk in the light. Be pure. And you will find satisfaction that the dark cannot even hold a candle to. I love how John Piper said it this way. Excellent book. Uh, Sex, Money, and Power. Living in the Light. He says sexual sin grows in the soil of blindness, darkness, and ignorance about the all-satisfying greatness and beauty of God. That's why Peter said to the churches, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's saying once you were ignorant of God's worth and beauty and greatness and sweetness, but now you have been born again. And once you taste of God, the lie of sinful sexual desires is exposed. It is as if someone turns on the light switch in a dark room. You begin to see and say, you know what? I know the world is saying that I should throw myself at these things. But I kind of feel like this is more satisfying. This isn't what it's held out to be. I call this the mirage. Talk with so many people who have just given a a swan dive into sand. Convinced that it's just a wonderful sweet water. And they come up choking and coughing with a mouthful of sand and saying, what is this? And the answer is, It's sin and death. It's not satisfying. It won't meet your need. I tell you what will. God will. Obedience to Him will. You will find joy and pleasure like the world knows nothing about. Gospel transformation accomplishes this. I would just call this uh, the the light switch that happens when, when Christ meets the scene. Whether in salvation itself, and some people tell incredible stories of how they were saved and God just immediately set them free from these vices, certain vices that they battled. And others say, yes, He saved me, and I have been in an ongoing battle, progressing step by step forward. I went to Bible school in 1995. The internet was invented by Al Gore, right? Right around then, isn't that right? The people at my school uh, had great intentions. They said, well, let's, uh, let's get them internet. That'll help them write papers and be more informed on what the world is going on and history and all that. So they just fill the men's dorm, 19 floors of dorm with Cat5 wire, and instantly we have internet. Now, it was still dial-up, you know, the that thing. Some of you kids are like, what is that? And 19 floors of Bible school student dormitories. 30 guys on every floor are instantly 
realizing there's a prostitute in my room. What am I going to do? Pornography is at my fingertips. What are we going to do? That was one of the most challenging seasons of life. Battle to obey. Fight to kill lust. Lord, I want you more than I want anything that computer can bring me. I want righteousness and obedience. And the guilt and the weight of conviction, of sin and lust. Gospel transformation is needed. The gospel that changes us from dead to alive, and then the gospel that remakes our desires to long for what is right and pure and good over that which is hideous and offensive and wrong. You are not your own, Christian. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Look at the connection. He says that. You were bought with a price. We just sang about the blood of Jesus washing us whiter than snow, pure and clean through His sacrifice. Hear the nails pounding into His hands and glorify God in your body. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do we do this? Lord, I don't want to sin. I want in my heart to please you and obey. But what do I want most? You see, this is how it happens. Temptation presents two paths, and desire chooses a path. That which is most desirable at the moment of choice is the path that I choose. Always. You always make decisions this way. Do I love the light and obedience and purity and holiness more in that moment when I am confronted with that temptation? Or do I say, that looks better. I'm going to go down that road. This is why it's not enough just to play defense. It's not enough just to say, okay, listen, I've got filtering on my computer. I've got careful checks on my phones. I've got this TV locked down. The magazines are shut off. And all that. That's good. You've got to do that, right? But it's not enough. Because if your heart still desires that which is depraved, you'll find an outlet for it. And everywhere you go, you carry your heart, your desire. What we need, my friends, is a new heart. We need new desires. We need to long for righteousness more than anything the world can offer. That happens as God transforms our minds. Truth changes what we long for and love. And as that happens, we begin to say, there's nothing there. I don't want that. That's just burden. And it, it breaks intimacy with God. And it, and it leads to guilt and shame. And there's nothing there. I don't want that road. I want life satisfaction, joy. Mm. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. These are the things don't do. How, does, how, do, how do you not do them? Well, put 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't pack a lunch for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't make provision for the flesh. Hmm. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Put off the old. Put on Christ. Wear His garment. Love the righteousness of the Lord. The holiness that He offers. The call to put sin to death. The bonfire of joy is found in obedience. I've counseled so many guys and I've experienced this in my own life. When fighting temptation, here's what you do. Build a bigger fire. Build a bigger fire of the pleasures of God, of joy in obedience, of, of the joy of a clean conscience before Him. Uninterrupted prayers where guilt and shame just seek to push me back and, and, and set me aside. No, there's a bigger fire to stand beside and be warm. Build a bigger fire. Chase after Jesus with all your heart. And you will find more and more that the fire of sin and temptation is like a little match compared to a bonfire of joy and satisfaction in God. Been trying to drop some weight lately. I got to the place in my life where I said, you know what? I find more satisfaction in the way that I feel when I say no to those Doritos than when I say yes to those Doritos. They're my vice. I love Doritos and ice cream. And it was amazing. It's like the light switch went on. I like this feeling better than I do when I have Dorito taste on my tongue. And it's working little by little. That's what I'm talking about. It is what is so awesome in obedience. It's this fire that burns in me. Nothing holds a candle to that. Build that fire. Stoke that flame. I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me in your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me into glory. Listen to the psalmist as he just overflows. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Young people, preach that to your heart. Is there anything in this world that I would desire more than you? Anything that would compete? No. Absolutely not. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. Mm. So the, the landing point is this. When temptation calls, don't pick up. Okay? You always have a choice. Christian, you always have a choice. Some say, well, the phone just doesn't ring anymore. That's not true in my experience. The phone rings. The phone rings. Here's the difference. I, I'm already on the line. Okay? I got another line. I'm on the phone already. The, the, I don't have time to answer this anymore. I don't want this phone. You can let it ring all you want. Okay? I'm on another line, and I'm walking with the Lord. You see the difference? Give temptations call the busy signal. Don't pick up that phone. Hmm. 
So a response this morning, one would be this. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For, here's a warning, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. He will judge. He will judge. Esteem marriage for what it is. One man, one woman, tell death to his part. Run in the walls of the vow. Delight in the wife of your youth. Enjoy Christian sex. That's God's good gift to you. Fan that flame. And guard that vow. To those who stand this morning, some would say, this, this isn't a problem for me. I, I'm not worried about it. Uh, I would just give this warning. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. King Solomon, probably at one point along the way, said, it's not a concern for me. And he fell in a devastating way. So to those who stand this morning, be on your guard and fan the flame of obedience and righteousness in the Lord. Chase after Him so that there's nothing that would, that would hold a candle to that. To those this morning who sit, and there might be some today, and you say, you know what, I've heard this before, yada, yada, yada. Here's the thing. Sin is great. And I really enjoy it. And I'm finding that, uh, you know what, I'm kind of comfortable in it. And, you know, nothing really bad has happened to me. The Lord hasn't struck me dead or anything. I, I'm healthy, and, and I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect my little sin playground over here. If that's you this morning, if that's you, be warned. There are two things you might face. One, the discipline of God. It is a fearsome thing to fall in the hands a father who would come to discipline you. God can discipline you with such fury that He could take your life if you don't turn from your sin. If you're going to drag His name through the mud in your playground of sin, He might just kill you to protect His honor and His name. The second is far more scary. That though you think you're saved, you're actually not. And you might think, I'm walking in the light because I wear the label Christian, but you're sitting in the dark. You might, in fact, be facing the wrath of God. Be warned. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Let each of you know how to control his own, his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his, neighbor, uh, his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you before and solemnly warned you, you've been warned. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. That's, that is what we are called to. And I would contend this will taste like sand very soon. It'll take everything. It will steal it, it'll kill it, and it'll destroy it. Come back into the light and walk with Him. To those who are convicted this morning, and I pray that would be most, convicted of thought patterns, 
lust, convicted of pornography hidden, convicted of a relationship at maybe the workplace that you know is leading to something that's not okay, even convicted of a secret sin. Maybe you are here and you have committed adultery on your spouse. And God is just in His love and His grace. He is laying upon you conviction, saying, turn. I would give you these verses. If your right eye causes you to sin, then tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off and throw it away, for it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, if today you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Be violent in confronting your sin. He's not actually talking about dismemberment. He's saying that's how big a deal it is. If you're on the phone and you're you're taking in the pornography, cut the line. Do what needs to be done. Address it. Or it might lead you to hell. That's Jesus' words. Listen to this one. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. There's those, both those terms. Nor men who practice homosexuality. Let's be clear. In our day, it's, it's right there. You can play games all you want, but you cannot change the words of Scripture. It's there. Homosexuality is wrong. It's a sin. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards. That's also there. People who indulge beyond what they should in alcohol. That's there. Drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So there's the warning. Here's the encouragement. If you're here and you're convicted this morning. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. His forgiveness for His grace, for His mercy. Think of the sin that we have been forgiven of. There is hope for the sexually immoral. There is hope. If you're here and you are struggling and you are just, you're just tired of it all. You're just like, that's enough. I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm so tired. Come and talk to me. I can encourage you. I've got some excellent books that I can point you to and, and we can begin to work. Talk to somebody. Let somebody know. God has grace to forgive and God has grace to transform. Let's pray. God, I give praise to You for Your grace in my life, for the incredible forgiveness that You have shown to me in my sins against You. I thank You, Father, for the way that You have worked and changed me from the inside. 
and the joy of obedience. I thank you for eyes to see, for a spirit that is in me, that is accomplishing greater joy in obedience than in disobedience. Oh Lord, for those who are here this morning who have been addressed by you, I pray that they would hear your voice and change by your grace. That you would address them and move them forward. That, that there would be conversations that need to happen today. Then, oh Lord, help them not to just move forward and go on to lunch and watch the Seahawks play. I pray that these things would shake up your people. That we would be holy as you are holy. And take seriously the vow that you have pledged to us. I will never leave you or forsake you. Help us, oh God, to be those that reflect that kind of commitment and resolve, that tenacity in the marriage vows. Protect us, we pray, O oh God, from attack, both from around us, from the enemy, and also from our own flesh. Lead us not into temptation, we pray, but deliver us from evil, O oh God. Cause us to shine bright. Cause us to stand out. That our marriages might bring attention to you and your glory your greatness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.